Chapter Seven of Studies of Trees by J. J. Levison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter Seven: Forestry. Study One: What Forestry Is and What It Does. Although forestry is not a new idea, but as a science and an art has been applied for nearly two thousand years, there are many persons who still need an explanation of its aims and principles. Forestry deals with the establishment, protection, and utilization of forests. By establishment is meant the planting of new forests and the cutting of mature forests in such a way as to encourage a natural growth of new trees without artificial planting or seeding. The planting may consist of sowing seed or of setting out young trees. The establishment of a forest by cutting may consist of the removal of all mature trees in dependence upon the remaining stumps to reproduce the forest from sprouts, or it may consist of the removal of only a portion of the mature trees, thus giving the young seedlings on the ground room in which to grow. By protection is meant the safeguarding of the forest from fire, wind, insects, disease, and injury for which man is directly responsible. Here the forester also prevents injury to the trees from the grazing and browsing of sheep and goats, and keeps his forest so well stocked that no wind can uproot the trees, nor can the sun dry up the moist forest soil. By utilization is meant the conservative and intelligent harvesting of the forest, with the aim of obtaining the greatest amount of product from a given area, with the least waste, in the quickest time, and without the slightest deterioration of the forest as a whole. The forester cuts his mature trees only and generally leaves a sufficient number on the ground to preserve the forest soil and to cast seed for the production of a new crop. In this way he secures an annual output without hurting the forest itself. He studies the properties and values of the different woods and places them where they will be most useful. He lays down principles for so harvesting the timber and the by-products of the forest that there will be the least waste and injury to the trees which remain standing. He utilizes the forest, but does not cut enough to interfere with the neighboring watersheds, which the forests protect. Forestry, therefore, deals with a vast and varied mass of information, comprising all the known facts relating to the life of a forest. It does not deal with the individual tree and its planting and care. That would be arboriculture. Nor does it consider the grouping of trees for aesthetic effect. That would be landscape gardening. It concerns itself with the forest as a community of trees and with the utilization of the forest on an economic basis. Each one of these activities in forestry is a study in itself and involves considerable detail of which the reader may obtain a general knowledge in the following pages. For a more complete discussion, the reader is referred to any of the standard books on forestry. The Life and Nature of a Forest When we think of a forest, we are apt to think of a large number of individual trees having no special relationship to each other. Closer observation, however, will reveal that the forest consists of a distinct group of trees sufficiently dense to form an unbroken canopy of tops, and that, where trees grow so closely together, they become very interdependent. It is this interdependence that makes the forest different from a mere group of trees in a park or on a lawn. In this composite character, the forest enriches its own soil from year to year, changes the climate within its own bounds, controls the streams along its borders, and supports a multitude of animals and plants peculiar to itself. This communal relationship in the life history of the forest furnishes a most interesting story of struggle and mutual aid. Different trees have different requirements with regard to water, food, and light. Some need more water and food than others, some will not endure much shade, and others will grow in the deepest shade. In the open, a tree, if once established, can meet its needs quite readily and, though it has to ward off a number of enemies, insects, disease, and windstorm, its struggle for existence is comparatively easy. 
in the forest the conditions are different here the tree enemies have to be battled with just as in the open and in addition instead of there being only a few trees on a plot of ground there are thousands growing on the same area all demanding the same things out of a limited supply the struggle for existence therefore becomes keen many falling behind and but few surviving this struggle begins with the seed at first there are thousands of seeds cast upon a given area by the neighboring trees or by the birds and the winds of these only a few germinate animals feed on some of them frost nips some and excessive moisture and unfavorable soil conditions prevent others from starting the few successful ones soon sprout into a number of young trees that grow thriftily until their crowns begin to meet when the trees have thus met the struggle is at its height the side branches encroach upon each other shut out the light without which the branches cannot live and finally kill each other off the upper branches vie with one another for light grow unusually fast and the trees increase in height with special rapidity this is nature's method of producing clear straight trunks which are so desirable for poles and large timber in this struggle for dominance some survive and tower above the others but many become stunted and fail to grow while the majority become entirely overtopped and succumb in the struggle but in this strife there is also mutual aid each tree helps to protect its neighbors against the danger of being uprooted by the wind and against the sun which is liable to dry up the rich soil around the roots this soil is different from the soil on the open lawn it consists of an accumulation of decayed leaves mixed with inorganic matter forming together a rich composition known as hummus the trees also aid each other in forming a close canopy that prevents the rapid evaporation of water from the ground the intensity of these conditions will vary a great deal with the composition of the forest and the nature and habits of the individual trees by composition or type of forest is meant the proportion in which the various species of trees are grouped i e whether a certain section of woodland is composed of one species or of a mixture of species by habit is meant the requirements of the trees for light water and food some trees will grow in deep shade while others will demand the open in the matter of water and food the individual requirements of different trees are equally marked the natural rapidity of growth of different species is also important and one caring for a forest must know this rate of growth not only as to the individual species but also with respect to the forest as a whole if he knows how fast the trees in a forest grow both in height and diameter he will know how much wood in cubic feet the forest produces in a year and he can then determine how much he may cut without decreasing the capital stock the rate of growth is determined in this way a tree is cut and the rings on the cross-section surface are counted and measured each ring represents one year's growth the total number of rings will show the age of the tree by a study of the rings of the various species of trees on a given plot the rate of growth of each species in that location can be ascertained and by knowing the approximate number of trees of each species on the forest area the rate of growth of the whole forest for any given year can be determined forests prevent soil erosion and floods forests help to regulate the flow of streams and prevent floods most streams are bordered by vast tracts of forest growths the rain that falls on these forest areas is absorbed and held by the forest soil which is permeated with decayed leaves decayed wood and root fibers the forest floor is moreover covered with a heavy undergrowth and thus behaves like a sponge absorbing the water that falls upon it and then permitting it to ooze out gradually to the valleys and rivers below a forest soil will retain one half of its own quantity of water i.e. for every foot in depth of soil there can be six inches of water and when thus saturated the soil will act as a vast underground reservoir from which the springs and streams are supplied cut the forest down and the land becomes such a desert as is shown in figure one hundred twenty six the soil leaves branches and fallen trees dry to dust are carried off by the wind 
and with the fall of rain the soil begins to wash away and gullies are formed streams generally have their origins in mountain slopes and there too the forests impeding the sudden runoff of the water which is not immediately absorbed prevent soil erosion where the soil is allowed to wash off frequent floods are inevitable rain which falls on bare slopes is not caught by the crowns of trees nor held by the forest floor it does not sink into the ground as readily as in the forest the result is that a great deal of water reaches the streams in a short time and thus hastens floods at other periods the streams are low because the water which would have fed them for months has run off in a few days the farms are the first to suffer from the droughts that follow and during the period of floods whole cities are often inundated figure one hundred twenty eight shows such a scene the history of forestry is full of horrible incidents of the loss of life and property from floods which are directly traceable to the destruction of the local forests and on the other hand there are many cases on record where flood conditions have been entirely obviated by the planting of forests france and germany have suffered from inundations resulting from forest devastation and more than a hundred years ago both of these countries took steps to reforest their mountain slopes and thereby to prevent many horrible disasters how forests are established new forests may be started from seeds or from shoots or suckers if from seed the process may be carried on in one of three ways first by sowing the seed directly on the land second by first raising young trees in nurseries and later setting them out in their permanent locations in the forest this method is applicable where quick results are desired where the area is not too large or in treeless regions and large open gaps where there is little chance for new trees to spring up from seed furnished by the neighboring trees it is a method extensively practiced abroad where some of the finest forests are the result the u s government as well as many of the states maintain forest tree nurseries where millions of little trees are grown from seed and planted out on the national and state forests figure one hundred twenty nine shows men engaged in this work the fundamental principles of starting and maintaining a nursery have already been referred to in the chapter on what trees to plant and how the third method of establishing a forest from seed is by cutting the trees in the existing forest so that the seed falling from the remaining trees will with the addition of light and space readily take root and fill in the gaps with a vigorous growth of trees without artificial seeding or planting this gives rise to several methods of cutting or harvesting forests for the purpose of encouraging natural reproduction the cutting may extend to single trees over the whole area or over only a part of the whole area where the cutting is confined to single trees the system is known as the selection system because the trees are selected individually with a view to retaining the best and most vigorous stock and removing the overcrowding specimens and those that are fully mature or infested with disease or insects figure 130 is a diagrammatic illustration of the operation of this system in another system the cutting is done in groups or in strips and the number of areas of the groups or strips is extended from time to time until the whole forest is cleared this system is illustrated in figure one hundred thirty one still another method consists in encouraging trees which will thrive in the shade such as the beech spruce and hemlock to grow under light demanding trees like the pine this system presents a two-storied forest and is known by that name the understory often has to be established by planting in the system of reproducing forests from shoots or suckers all trees of a certain species on a given area are cut off and the old stumps and roots are depended upon to produce a new set of sprouts the strongest of which will later develop into trees the coniferous trees do not lend themselves at all to this system of treatment and among the broadleaf trees the species vary in their ability to sprout some like the chestnut and poplar sprout profusely others sprout very little how forests are protected forestry also tries to protect the forest from many destructive agencies wasteful lumbering and fire are the worst enemies of the forest 
fungi insects grazing wind snow and floods are the other enemies by wasteful lumbering is meant that the forest is cut with no regard for the future and with considerable waste in the utilization of the product conservative lumbering which is the term used by foresters to designate the opposite of wasteful lumbering will be described more fully later in this study protection from fire is no less important than protection from wasteful lumbering forest fires are very common in this country and cause incalculable destruction to life and property from ten to twelve million acres of forest land are burnt over annually and the timber destroyed is estimated at fifty millions of dollars the history of forestry abounds in tales of destructive fires where thousands of persons have been killed or left destitute whole towns wiped out and millions of dollars in property destroyed in most cases these uncontrollable fires started from small conflagrations that could readily with proper fire patrol have been put out there are various ways of fighting fires depending on the character of the fire whether it is a surface fire burning along the surface layer of dry leaves and small ground vegetation a ground fire burning below the surface through the layer of soil and vegetable matter that generally lines the forest floor or a top fire burning high up in the trees when the fire runs along the surface only the injury extends to the butts of the trees and to the young seedlings such fires can be put out by throwing dirt or sand over the fire by beating it and sometimes by merely raking the leaves away ground fires destroy the vegetable mold which the trees need for their sustenance they progress slowly and kill or weaken the roots of the trees top fires are the most dangerous destroying everything in their way they generally develop from surface fires though sometimes they are started by lightning they are more common in coniferous forests because the leaves of hardwoods do not burn so readily checking the progress of a top fire is a difficult matter some fires will travel as rapidly as five miles an hour and the heat is terrific the only salvation for the forest lies in many cases in a sudden downpour of rain a change of wind or some barrier which the fire cannot pass a barrier of this kind is often made by starting another fire some distance ahead of the principal one so that when the two fires meet they will die out for want of fuel in well-kept forests strips or lanes free from inflammable material are often purposely made through the forest area to furnish protection against top fires carefully managed forests are also patrolled during the dry season so that fires may be detected and attacked in their first stages lookout stations watch-towers telephone connections and signal stations are other means frequently resorted to for fire protection and control notices warning campers and trespassers against starting fires are commonly posted in such forests the grazing of sheep goats and cattle in the forest is another important source of injury to which foresters must give attention in the west this is quite a problem for when many thousands of these animals pass through a forest there is often very little young growth left and the future reproduction of the forest is severely retarded grazing on our national forests is regulated by the government as a means of protection against insects and fungi all trees infested are removed as soon as observed and in advance of all others whenever a lumbering operation is undertaken how forests are harvested forestry and forest preservation require that a forest should be cut and not merely held untouched but it also demands that the cutting shall be done on scientific principles and that only as much timber shall be removed in a given time as the forest can produce in a corresponding period after the cutting the forest must be left in a condition to produce another crop of timber within a reasonable time these fundamental requirements represent the difference between conservative lumbering and ordinary lumbering besides ensuring a future supply of timber conservative lumbering or lumbering on forestry principles also tends to preserve the forest floor and the young trees growing on it and to prevent injury on the remaining trees through fire insects and disease it provides for a working plan by which the kind 
number and location of the trees to be cut are specified the height of the stumps is stipulated and the utilization of the wood and by-products is regulated conservative lumbering provides that the trees shall be cut as near to the ground as possible and that they shall be felled with the least damage to the young trees growing nearby the branches of the trees after they have been felled must be cut and piled in heaps to prevent fire when the trunks sawed into logs are dragged through the woods care is taken not to break down the young trees or to injure the bark of the standing trees waste in the process of manufacture is provided against uses are found for the material ordinarily rejected and the best methods of handling and drying lumber are employed figure one hundred thirty five shows a typical sawmill capable of providing lumber in large quantities in the utilization of the by-products of the forest such as turpentine and resin forestry has devised numerous methods for harvesting the crops with greater economy and with least waste and injury to the trees from which the by-products are obtained figure one hundred thirty six illustrates an improved method by which crude turpentine is obtained forestry here and abroad forestry is practiced in every civilized country except china and turkey in germany forestry has attained through a long series of years a remarkable state of scientific thoroughness and has greatly increased the annual output of the forests of that country in france switzerland austria hungary norway sweden russia and denmark forestry is also practiced on scientific principles and the government in each of these countries holds large tracts of forests in reserve in british india one finds a highly efficient forest service and in japan forestry is receiving considerable attention in the united states the forest areas are controlled by private interests by the government and by the states on privately owned forests forestry is practiced only in isolated cases the states are taking hold of the problem very actively and in many of them we now find special forestry commissions authorized to care for vast areas of forest land reserved for state control these commissions employ technically trained foresters who not only protect the state forests but also plant new areas encourage forest planting on private lands and disseminate forestry information among the citizens new york state has such a commission that cares for more than a million acres of forest land located in the northern part of the state many other states are equally progressive the united states government is the most active factor in the preservation of our forests the government today owns over two hundred million acres of forest land set aside as national forests there are one hundred and fifty individual reserves distributed as shown in figure one hundred thirty seven and cared for by the forest service a bureau in the department of agriculture each of the forests is in charge of a supervisor he has with him a professional forester and a body of men who patrol the tract against fire and the illegal cutting of timber some of the men are engaged in planting trees on the open areas and others in studying the important forest problems of the region where cutting is to be done on a national forest the conditions are investigated by a technically trained forester and the cutting is regulated according to his findings special attention is given to discovering new uses for species of trees which have hitherto been considered valueless and the demand upon certain rare species is lessened by introducing more common woods which are suitable for use in their place aside from the perpetuation of the national forests the u s forest service also undertakes such tree studies as lie beyond the power or means of private individuals it thus stands ready to cooperate with all who need assistance study two care of the woodland almost every farm large private estate or park has a wooded area for the purpose of supplying fuel or for enhancing the landscape effect of the place in most instances these wooded areas are entirely neglected or are so improperly cared for as to cause injury rather than good in but very few cases is provision made for a future growth of trees after the present stock has gone proper attention will increase and perpetuate a crop of good trees just as it will any other crop on the farm while the attractiveness of the place may be greatly enhanced through the intelligent planting and care of trees 
how to judge the conditions a close examination of the wooded area may reveal some or all of the following unfavorable conditions the trees may be so crowded that none can grow well a few may have grown to large size but the rest usually are decrepit and overtopped by the larger trees they are therefore unable for the want of light and space to develop into good trees figure 139 shows woodland in such condition there may also be dead and dying trees trees infested with injurious insects and fungi and having any number of decayed branches the trees may be growing so far apart that their trunks will be covered with suckers as far down as the ground or there may be large open gaps with no trees at all here the sun striking with full force may be drying up the soil and preventing the decomposition of the leaves grass soon starts to grow in these open spaces and the whole character of the woodland changes where any of these conditions exist the woodland requires immediate attention otherwise as time goes on it deteriorates more and more the struggle for space among the crowded and suppressed trees becomes more keen the insects and the dying trees multiply and disease spreads from tree to tree under such conditions the soil deteriorates and the older trees begin to suffer the attention required for the proper care of woodland may be summed up under the four general heads of soil preservation planting cutting and protection improvement by soil preservation the soil in a wooded area can best be preserved and kept rich by doing two things by retaining the fallen leaves on the ground and by keeping the ground well covered with a heavy growth of trees shrubs and herbaceous plants the fallen leaves decompose mix with the soil and form a dark colored material known as hummus the hummus supplies the tree with a considerable portion of its food and helps to absorb and retain the moisture in the soil upon which the tree is greatly dependent a heavy growth of trees and shrubs has a similar effect by serving to retain the moisture in the soil improvement by planting the planting of new trees is a necessity on almost any wooded area for even where the existing trees are in good condition they cannot last forever and provision must be made for others to take their place after they are gone the majority of the wooded areas in our parks and on private estates are not provided with a sufficient undergrowth of desirable trees to take the place of the older ones thus also the open gaps must be planted to prevent the soil from deteriorating waste lands on farms which are unsuited for farm crops often offer areas on which trees may be profitably planted these lands are sufficiently good in most cases to grow trees thus affording a means of turning into value ground which would otherwise be worthless it has been demonstrated that the returns from such plantations at the end of fifty years will yield a six per cent investment and an extra profit of one hundred fifty one dollars ninety seven cents per acre the expense totaling at the end of fifty years three hundred seven dollars three cents the value of the land is estimated at four dollars per acre and the cost of the trees and planting at seven dollars per acre the species figured on here is white pine one of the best trees to plant from a commercial standpoint with other trees the returns will vary accordingly the usual idea that it costs a great deal to plant several thousand young trees is erroneous an ordinary woodlot may be stocked with a well-selected number of young trees at a cost less than the price generally paid for a dozen good specimen trees for the front lawn it is not necessary to underplant the woodlot with big trees the existing big trees are there to give character to the forest and the new planting should be done principally as a future investment and as a means of perpetuating the life of the woodlot young trees are even more desirable for such planting than the older and more expensive ones the young trees will adapt themselves to the local soil and climatic conditions more easily than the older ones their demand for food and moisture is more easily satisfied and because of their small cost one can even afford to lose a large percentage of them after planting the young plant should be two-year-old seedlings or three-year-old transplants two-year-old seedlings are trees that have been grown from the seed in seed beds until they reach that age they run from two to fifteen inches in height depending upon the species 
three-year-old transplants have been grown from the seed in seed beds and at the end of the first or second year have been taken up and transplanted into rows where they grow a year or two longer they are usually a little taller than the two-year-old seedlings are much stockier and have better root system for this reason three-year-old transplants are a little more desirable as stock for planting they will withstand drought better than seedlings the best results from woodland planting are obtained with native grown material such stock is stronger hardier and better acclimated foreign grown stock is usually a little cheaper owing to the fact that it has been grown abroad under cheap labor conditions the trees may be purchased from reputable dealers of whom there are many in this country these dealers specialize in growing young trees and selling them at the low cost of three to ten dollars per thousand in states in which a forestry commission has been inaugurated there have also been established state nurseries where millions of little trees are grown for reforestation purposes in order to encourage private tree planting the forestry commissions are usually willing to sell some of these trees at cost price under certain conditions to private landowners inquiries should be made to the state forestry commission great care must be taken to select the species most suitable for the particular soil climactic and light conditions of the woodlot the trees which are native to the locality and are found growing thriftily on the woodlot are the ones that have proven their adaptability to the local conditions and should therefore be the principal species used for underplanting a list from which to select the main stock would therefore vary with the locality in the eastern states it would comprise the usual hardy trees like the red pin and scarlet oaks the beech the red and sugar maples the white ash the tulip tree sycamore sweet gum and locust among the deciduous trees the white austrian red pitch and scotch pines the hemlock and the yew among the conifers with the main stock well selected one may add a number of trees and shrubs that will give to the woodland scene a pleasing appearance on all seasons the brilliant autumnal tints of the sassafras pepperidge blue beech viburnum juneberry and sumac are strikingly attractive the flowering dogwood along the drives and paths will add a charm in june as well as in autumn and an occasional group of white birch will have the same effect if planted among groups of evergreens additional undergrowth of native woodland shrubs such as new jersey tea red-berried elder and blueberry for the eastern states will augment the naturalness of the scene and help to conserve the moisture in the soil two or three years growth will raise these plants above all grass and low vegetation and a sprinkling of laurel rhododendron hardy ferns and a few intermingling colonies of native wild flowers such as bloodroot false solomon seal and columbines for the east as a ground cover will put the finishing touches to the forest scene as to methods of planting the little trees the following suggestions may prove of value as soon as the plants are received they should be taken from the box and dipped in a thick puddle of water and loam the roots must be thoroughly covered with the mud then the bundles into which the little trees are tied should be loosened and the trees placed in a trench dug on a slant the dirt should be placed over the roots and the exposed parts of the plants covered with brush or burlap to keep away the rays of the sun when ready for planting a few plants are dug up set in a pail with thin mud at the bottom and carried to the place of planting the most economical method of planting is for one man to make holes within a mattock these holes are made about a foot in diameter by scraping off the sod with the mattock and then digging a little hole in the dirt underneath a second man follows with a pail of plants and sets a single plant in this hole with his hands making sure that the roots are straight and spread out on the bottom of the hole the dirt should then be packed firmly around the plant and pressed down with the foot improvement by cutting the removal of certain trees in a grove is often necessary to improve the quality of the better trees increase their growth make the place accessible and enhance its beauty cutting in a wooded area should be confined to suppressed trees dead and dying trees and trees badly infested with insects and disease in case of farm woodlands mature trees of market value may be cut but in parks and on private estates these have a greater value when left standing 
the cutting should leave a clean stand of well-selected specimens which will thrive under the favorable influence of more light and growing space considerable care is required to prevent injury to the young trees when the older specimens are cut and hauled out of the woods the marking of the trees to be removed can best be done in summer when the dead and live trees can be distinguished with ease and when the requisite growing space for each tree can be judged better from the density of the crowns the cutting however can be done most advantageously in winter immediately after cutting all diseased and infested wood should be destroyed the sound wood may be utilized for various purposes the bigger logs may be sold to local lumber dealers and the smaller material may be used for firewood the remaining brush should be withdrawn from the woodlot to prevent fire during the dry summer months in marking trees for removal a number of considerations are to be borne in mind besides the elimination of dead diseased and suppressed trees when the marker is working among crowding trees of equal height he should save those that are most likely to grow into fine specimen trees and cut out all those that interfere with them the selection must also favor trees which are best adapted to the local soil and climatic conditions and those which will add to the beauty of the place in this respect the method of marking will be different from that used in commercial forestry where the aim is to net the greatest profit from the timber in pure forestry practice one sees no value in such species as dogwood ironwood juneberry sumac and sassafras and will therefore never allow those to grow up in abundance and crowd out other trees of a higher market value but on private estates and in park woodlands where beauty is an important consideration such species add wonderful color and attractiveness to the forest scene especially along the roads and paths and should be favored as much as the other hardier trees one must not mark too severely in one spot or the soil will be dried out from exposure to sun and wind when the gaps between the trees are too large the trees will grow more slowly and the trunks will become covered with numerous shoots or suckers which will deprive the crowns of their necessary food and cause them to die back where the trees are tall and slim or on short and steep hillsides it is also important to be conservative in marking in order that the stand may not be exposed to the dangers of windfall no hard and fast rule can be laid down as to what would constitute a conservative percentage of trees to cut down this depends entirely on the local conditions and on the exposure of the woodlot but in general it is not well to remove more than twenty per cent of the stand nor to repeat the cutting on the same spot oftener than once in five or six years the first cutting will of course be the heaviest and all subsequent cuttings will become lighter and lighter until the woodlot is put in good growing condition on private estates and parks where beauty is the chief aim the woodland should be kept as natural informal and as thick as possible where the woodland is cut up by many paths and drives density of vegetation will add to the impression of depth and distance protection this subject has already been discussed considerably in the previous study on forestry and here it becomes necessary merely to add a few suggestions with special reference to private and park woodlands guarding woodlands from fire is the most important form of protection surface fires are very common on small woodland holdings and the damage done to the standing vegetation is generally underestimated an ordinary ground or surface fire on a woodland area will burn up the leaf litter and vegetable mold upon which the trees depend so much for food and moisture and will destroy the young seedlings on the ground where the fire is a little more severe the older trees are badly wounded and weakened and the younger trees are frequently killed outright insects and disease find these trees as an easy prey and all related forest conditions commence to deteriorate constant watchfulness and readiness to meet any emergency are the keynote for effective fire protection notices similar to the one shown in figure 143 often help prevent fires it is also helpful to institute strict rules against dropping lighted matches or tobacco or burning brush when the ground is very dry or leaving smoldering wood without waiting to see that the fire is completely out there should be many roads and footpaths winding through the woodland in order that they may serve as checks or fire lanes in time of fire 
these roads and paths should be kept free from brush and leaves and should be frequently patrolled when made not too wide unpretentious and in conformity with the natural surroundings such drives and paths can become a very interesting feature of the place winding through the woodland exposing its charms and affording opportunity for pleasant driving and walking the borders of the paths can be given special attention by placing the more beautiful native shrubs in prominent positions where they can lend increased attractiveness in case of fire it should be possible to call for aid by telephone directly from the woodland and to find within easy reach the tools necessary to combat fire it is also important to obtain the cooperation of one's neighbors in protecting the adjoining woodlands because the dangers from insects disease and fire threatening one bit of woodland area are more and less dependent upon the conditions in the adjoining woodland as to other forms of protection passing mention may be made of the importance of keeping out cattle sheep and hogs from the woods of eliminating all insects and disease of keeping the ground free from brush and other inflammable material of retaining on the ground all fallen leaves and keeping the forest well stocked with little trees and shrubs forest lands may be exempted from taxation in new york and other states there exists a state law providing for exemption or reduction in taxes upon lands which are planted with forest trees or maintained as wooded areas the object of the law is to encourage home forestry and to establish fairness in the agricultural land tax law by placing forest lands in the same category with other crop producing lands for detailed information and a copy of the law one should address the local state forestry commission End of chapter seven